Hello, my name's Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with... You may know me as a podcaster, but for 30 years, I've also been a cop. My name is Will Sloan. Yes, Will Sloan. And who are you imitating today? I'm imitating... Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, and we're doing a Jean-Claude Van Damme episode. No, we're doing Steven Seagal. Why? Because he's great. I love him. I mean, he's probably, well, I was going to say he's my favorite action star, but that's just stupid contrarianism because he's objectively terrible. But I have a real soft spot for him. And the other reason we're doing him is because we didn't want to work very hard this week. We wanted to do no research. Yeah, we just want to have fun. We should uh, say right off the bat, we mentioned the last episode, but anyone who's interested in Seagal has to read Vern's book, uh, Seagology. You'll often find it at like... Urban Outfitters or something next to the Chuck Norris facts book, but... uh, This one is actually good. This is a real book um, with real analysis of Seagal's work, every single Seagal film. And even did an updated version with more DTV films, which is The Pits. I can't even imagine having to sit there and watch those films. I try to keep up with Seagal's direct-to-video work, but it's hard to because there's just so much of it. He had three movies come out this month, okay? (laughs) No, or in May, I mean. He had Asian Connection, Sniper Special Office, and um oh hell what code of honor (laughs) so let's talk about when the first time you fell in love with mr seagal well it's been a gradual process Uh, i never liked him (laughs) (laughs) like i always thought he looked like um your friend's dad that was a little too mean I, I definitely had a lot of contempt for him when I was in high school. Uh, my my uncle really liked Steven Seagal, and I remember um, being in a motel during a family trip with my uncle, uh, and and we were, it was a Steven Seagal marathon. I didn't know it was a Steven Seagal marathon, but it was on TBS, and uh, we, we watched um, all of Fire Down Below, and then we watched all of Under Siege 2 Dark Territory, and then I thought, okay, we're, we're done. <laughs> and then Hard to Kill started, and I was like, I gotta go. So I just I just left for a while. I remember my dad bringing me to see Exit Wounds in the cinema. I don't know oh, what wow. he was thinking of, but I remember not liking it very much, even at that point. And that film is filled with Hong Kong action choreography. How dare you? <laughs> I've never seen Exit Wounds. Uh, I think I came to my love of Seagal uh, mostly, uh, how do you pronounce it, schadenfreude? Uh, yeah, you're laughing at him. Yeah, laughing at him. And I think I definitely came to it, um, came to appreciate him through his direct-to-video work. I, uh, in undergrad, I, on a whim, rented uh, Pistol Whipped, his 2008 film. Directed by Royal Rene. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know that, but I know it's got um, um, Lance Henriksen in it as the villain. Uh, and from there, you know, I just started uh, dipping in and out. Um, and then in more recent years, I've I've got into kind of his Golden Age stuff, which I think is is not good. Movies like Above the Law, Hard to Kill, they're, they're laughable, I would say. But you kind of understand why he was a star. He's got a certain otherworldly quality to him. We should mention that he has one decent movie called Out for Justice. Like I don't want to overpraise it or anything, but it's definitely upper tier. It has it's was by an actual director, John Flynn, who did Rolling Thunder. Why are you saying that the guy who directed Mark for Death, Dwight H. Little, <laughs> director of Halloween Four and Free Willy Two, is not a real director? Uh, Why do I know this information? Like what a waste of my brain. But also there there are some who would say that his best movie was Under Siege, which is definitely I don't like Under Siege. I, it's definitely his slickest movie. It was by another arguably real filmmaker, Andrew a- Davis. Academy Award nominated. For The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you all know Under Siege, uh, but it's Die Hard on a Cruise Ship. And he made the, or Andrew Davis made the 
interesting decision to keep Seagal off screen for most of the first half. While Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey are taking over the boat, Seagal is trapped in a in a meat locker. <laughs> and basically, Seagal has about as much screen time as Tommy Lee Jones, the villain. Which... I think that Andrew Davis actually came out and he's like, listen, Seagal only has 41 minutes of screen time in this movie. And, you know, in a way it's effective because he's like the shark in Jaws. I feel like Seagal... Like, if you're going to actually appreciate what talent he has, you've got to take it in small doses. But what talent does he have? Does he have awesome martial arts moves? Well, he did, I think, at one point. Yeah, um, we should talk a little bit about where he came from. Oh, this is an Do you want to tell it? or uh, So, the history of Seagal is shrouded in mystery. <laughs> he is a very big bullshit artist. Mm-hmm. He says that... He went to Japan. He trained with Bushido Masters. So it is undeniable that he went to Japan. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and lived there for a dojo. <laughs> yeah. So he he claims that he was the first white person to own a dojo in Japan. Um, I don't know if that's true. He does speak Japanese. Yes. And he has a Japanese daughter who starred in uh, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then the most important part of Seagal's mythology is... The CIA hired him for Black Ops missions. (laughs) Okay, he talks a good game about this is where the bullshit artist part comes in. All of Seagal's movies, well, not all of them, but most of them have some subplot about how his character has some shadowy CIA history and he's kind of turned against the CIA. This is a theme that recurs over and over and over again. Above the Law, for example, the title refers to how terrible it is that the CIA and agencies like that think they're above the law. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, it's unlikely he was actually in the CIA. (laughs) I remember. So uh, I think in the Vern book, they mentioned that the CIA cannot comment on any people that were involved with them. Mm -hmm. So you could say that like Dolly Parton was in the CIA. (laughs) And if their silence is acknowledging that fact, then sure. Dolly Parton was in the CIA too. Yeah. Maybe he knew a guy who was in the CIA. (laughs) So anyway, he came back to Hollywood in the early 80s in triumph, I guess. He started a dojo in Hollywood, became kind of the martial arts instructor to the stars. Yeah, he famously broke Sean Connery's wrist on You Only Live Twice. No, it was Never Say Never Again. There you go. And you know he meant to do it. (laughs) There are stories out there, like Seagal is, is a huge piece of shit as a man, and there are a lot of stories of him like actually throwing real punches at the stunt guys to kind of like show what a tough guy he is. So you know that... I mean, allegedly, I should say. I can't prove this, but I have a sneaking suspicion he meant to break Connery's wrist. And the famous story goes that the big Hollywood agent, uh, Michael Ovitz, made a bet with someone else that he could make Seagal a star. (laughs) Yeah. So, Seagal's first movie... So, it was the real Pygmalion. Yeah, Seagal's first movie, Above the Law was a Steven Seagal movie. He wasn't like Jean-Claude Van Damme where he came up through the ranks doing... Breaking 2 and yeah, stuff like that. As an extra, a stuntman, a villain. He's, I think the... I can't think of another action star who just... His first movie was fully formed. He did not have a ponytail in uh, Above uh, the Law. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so, almost there, but not quite. But Above the Law, like the opening scene features pictures of Seagal as a boy and pictures of Seagal in Japan while his character basically in narration, says his own life story (laughs) as the character. So basically, Above the Law is the Steven Seagal Foundation myth. Mm -hmm. And from there, he just became like an action star. People really gravitated toward him. And it's a little difficult to see what he had, because he's not very charismatic. Well, we're looking at him through the lens of another 20 or 30 years of becoming an increasingly bloated, (laughs) increasingly pathetic 
Uh, Orson Welles-like. Orson Welles-like. He is about the size of Orson (laughs) Welles now. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to fat shame. The thing about it is, if Seagal would just own the fact that he's overweight, I think that would be cool. Yeah. But instead, he tries. He wears these like really baggy shirts, and is shot in in shadows and complicated camera angles to hide the fact he thinks he's hiding it. Like if he were just like a fat kung fu star, like Sammo Hung. Yeah, that but would Sammo be great. Hung can actually kick ass. You look at Seagal, and you can obviously see that he hasn't trained in decades. Yeah, I mean, I think he would dispute that. <laughs> There's a video online of him in Russia <laughs> fighting a bunch of other, I guess, Aikido students? Yeah, at a demonstration. And it's literally just him waving his hands. It's And them, like, falling over <laughs> yeah. because they've been ordered. It's, the, it's like that scene in Foxcatcher when uh, Steve Carell beats some guys at a wrestling match, and then you see Steve Carell's handlers, like, slip some money to them. <laughs> And Seagal looks like the way that he's looked since, I don't know, 2005, (laughs) just like he was going to kill himself the night before, and he just decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep going, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Seagal was never an actor of great range, I think it's fair to say, but watching his recent movies, it's, I I mean... I know, he he looks like fucking Mick Jagger in the early movies. <laughs> like, n- now he's almost Bressonian in the sheer uh, lack, lack of effort yeah. of making movies. But we watched two movies. Well, we watched a I bunch watched of movies. I watched a bunch, <laughs> But specifically, we watched the Seagaliest of all Seagal films, which is On Deadly Ground. The only movie to date that he's directed. It's kind of crazy that if you look at his filmography and you click director, that's all that's there. No music videos, no shorts, no documentaries, just on deadly ground. And I know he has uh, threatened to direct other movies. He had a script called Prince of Pistols that he wanted to direct, but it's never happened. And on deadly ground was both his peak as a movie star. It was his biggest budget. um, And it came right after Under Siege, which was like a full-on top 10 movie of the year smash hit that took him to the next level. So he basically had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And it was also the beginning of the end of him as a movie star, (laughs) because after this, his movies didn't do as well. And yeah, uh, he became increasingly bloated and sad. But so Under Siege, though, is a man with a vision. Like, it'd be easy to say that it's just a hack kind of like... Just tossing it out because he wanted to try directing? No. Seagal seems to be right in there, and he wants to tell you how important the essence of a man is. <laughs> oh, okay, wait. Before we go on with that, uh, the, the second movie that we officially did for this podcast was um, Sniper Special Ops, one of several movies he's putting out this year. But we need to talk about that yeah. later, yeah. because that is like the nadir of <laughs> yeah. everything. So, um, what's On Deadly Ground about? <laughs> On Deadly Ground is about a guy that, uh, I guess he fixes oil fires, like he puts them out? He's a mercenary for the oil companies in Alaska, basically. You used to be a good man. <laughs> That's what you got wrong. I never was a good man. And basically, he works for uh, Michael Caine. Yes. <laughs> a black-dyed hair Michael Caine. With an American accent. Um <laughs> Which is not, I don't know, why Why didn't he just let him talk in his regular voice? And Seagal's job seems to involve going to where the fire is and just pressing a button so then it explodes. And he's kind of this like self-loathing mercenary who knows that he does bad work for the oil companies, but is just kind of sold out. So there's a scene at a bar, and I mean, all of Seagal's early movies have a bar fight in them, but this is the peak, not only of his bar fights, but 
probably of his entire oeuvre. Can we take a moment to talk about the ADR of this film? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Because I don't think I've seen a film ever that has as much people that you don't see talking from the sides <laughs> of the screen ever. At one point, when he arrives to put out a fire, you hear a guy go like, that fire's good as gone! Something like that. Or when he arrives in the bar, there's like 30 voices being like, oh man, he's the baddest, he's the best. This is definitely a movie that, I mean, by all accounts, was kind of cobbled together in post-production, because, believe it or not, Steven Seagal was not the most competent filmmaker. So, Seagal in this fight defends a Native American. Right. Um, And so there's a big bully in the bar played by beloved character actor Mike Starr. One of my favorite character actors. You've seen him in Dumb and Dumber, Ed Wood, Goodfellas, Cabin Boy. I always get him confused with Danny Aiello. There there are similar types for sure. And they were and Danny was friends with uh, Seagal's producer friend. Oh, the uh, the alleged mob. I think (laughs) wait, I think he's an actual convicted mobster. (laughs) Yes. We'll get to that later. Um, So this fight scene. Should be pretty simple. Seagal just deals out some justice. But it features a guy being hit in the balls and then screaming, Ah! My nuts! <laughs> and then the most important scene of any Seagal picture, where he stops and challenges Mike Starr to a game of, what is it called? Uh, I don't know, but Slap I can Slap hands? I like... don't even know if I can describe it. Basically, it's... Basically, it's... Um... Mike Starr has to put his hands out, and Seagal puts his hands on top of Mike Starr's hands, and then whoever flinches first, basically. If Mike Starr can pull his hands back before Seagal slaps them, he can punch Seagal. But if Seagal slaps Mike Starr's hands, he can punch Mike Starr. You know, basic scene? Very silly, but it's the way that it ends, where Mike Starr, (laughs) having been beaten to a bloody pulp, uh, Seagal suddenly asks, What does it take to change the essence of a man? I don't remember what Mike Starr says exactly. I I do. Mike Starr says, I need time. I need time to change. And Seagal goes, Seagal pats him on the shoulder and says, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're best buddies now. Have you ever heard the really famous story of, um, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're talking about. Somebody, uh, somebody, some producer went into Seagal's trailer and Seagal was reading this script and weeping. and, And he said, I've just read the most beautiful script I've ever read in my life. And then the, and the producer goes, who wrote it? I did. <laughs> <laughs> that encapsulates Steven more than anything could. Oh, he's great. So uh, uh, on Deadly Ground is this weird um, mix of hyperviolence. Oh, yeah. A dude gets stabbed in, in the head with a knife, spun around and then stabbed into the wall again. And Seagal going on spiritual journeys and fighting a bear. So, yeah, Seagal gets um, reborn as a, an, an Inuit uh, person. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, Seagal is kind of, in both movies and in life, he's whatever ethnicity he needs to be at that moment in time. So there are movies where he talks in sort of a Cajun accent and he'll talk about uh, very close to the people of New Orleans. <laughs> And then, you know, uh, in Out for Justice, he has kind of an Italian accent. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, there are times in interviews when he said, I consider myself more Japanese than American. And now, of course, just this year, he accepted Serbian citizenship. 
<laughs> so he really is our United Nations. <laughs> On Deadly Ground continues to play out. And what makes it so special in your opinion, Will? I mean, it really hits the sweet spot between being just a really fun, rollicking Seagal action movie. How many great character actors in the movie? Oh, There's um... Arlie Ermey, uh, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Can I read you one of the lines that uh, he says about Steven Seagal? Which is a very famous thing about Seagal movies, where they talk about how amazing he is. In Seagology, Vern has a section for each movie called the How Badass Is This Guy speech. And uh, uh, Arlie Ermey in in On Deadly Ground says, and I quote, My guy on DC tells me that we're not dealing with a student here. We're dealing with the professor. Anytime the military has an operation that can't fail, they call this guy in to train the troops, okay? He's the kind of guy that would drink a gallon of gasoline so he could piss in your campfire. You could drop this guy off at the Arctic Circle wearing a pair of bikini underwear without his toothbrush, and tomorrow he's going to show up at your poolside with a million-dollar smile and a fistful of pesos. This guy's a professional. You got me? (laughs) I mean... If Seagal actually did write that, I think he's an underrated screenwriter. Well, I mean, he obviously wrote the tour de force of the film, which is the final speech that he gives. Oh, so after uh, Michael Caine has been killed, spoiler, and uh, the Alaskan oil drilling uh, base has exploded, which keeps them from drilling there because they had a time limit that if they did not reach and right. started drilling, they would lose the rights to the land. Right. And and by the way, as Siskel and Ebert pointed out in their review at the time, um, wouldn't the Alaskans actually be really pissed off that their major industry got destroyed? <laughs> but anyway, the movie ends with... Uh, uh, yeah, so um, Michael Caine has been polluting the environment with his oil uh, activities, and Seagal goes to some sort of community meeting and gets on stage and delivers a, a, a four-minute speech about the environment uh, and corporations that are polluting the air, very much like Charlie Chaplin at the end of The Great Dictator. And in fact... Um, this speech was originally 11 minutes long. 11 minutes long? And, uh, of course, it tested poorly. Because, <laughs> because could you imagine going to see a Steven Seagal movie and getting an 11-minute speech about the environment at the end? Holy crap. And it's, like, intercut with, like, real documentary footage of, like, <laughs> animals being miserable and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, you know, it's nice to see Seagal has such a strong belief in something that is on the surface good, but seeing how he acted throughout the rest of his life. Yeah, and I mean, his politics today, I think, are really deplorable. I, Seagal is kind of interesting because he really fancies himself a renaissance man. Like, he um, he has a, he got some award from PETA. Um, he is he wrote a album of music called Songs from the Crystal Cave. And he had a follow-up called Mojo Priest, uh, <laughs> which is what I want on my tombstone. Mojo Priest. Uh, he, and a picture of Steven Seagal? Yes, and I want my name to be Steven Seagal on the, t- on the tombstone. Okay. Uh, he is supposedly the Dalai Lama named him a, a reincarnated uh, Tibetan Lama. And it has been alleged that he got that title because he donated a lot of money to, <laughs> to, to the Buddhist church. And best of all, his brother from another mother is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, so, I mean, if you've heard of Seagal at all in recent years, it's because he is best friends with Putin and has gone over on official state visits with Putin and called him one of the great world leaders. And he supports the uh, Crimean uh, annexation. What happened to the Seagal of On Deadly Ground? He's also, Seagal is also good friends with the controversial Sheriff Joe Arpaio from 
um, I think it's Arizona, who is known as one of the most xenophobic political figures in America. Which is so weird considering, like you said, Seagal's like, I'm more Japanese than I am American. Right. Um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, these are the paradoxes and contradictions that make Seagal so interesting. <laughs> really? Do you, I mean, interesting? Uh, well, I don't know. It's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the nadir of his career. So, so after On Deadly Ground, it's pretty much a slow downhill slope. He had a couple... He, he made most of these early movies for Warner Brothers, where he had a real sweetheart deal. After On Deadly Ground, we got the obligatory Under Siege 2, which was... Dark die, territory. Yeah, Die Hard on a Train, um, distinguished because it, the villain is played by uh, New York underground stage performer Eric Bogosian. <laughs> Um, after that, there was his buddy cop movie, The Glimmer Man, with Keenan Ivory Wayans. Which people forget is actually a weird take on Seven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where Seagal, at one point, kills a bunch of people with a credit card. Uh, did you ever read that article in the AV Club, uh, Killer Mike and LP from Run the Jewels, talking about Seagal? No. One of them, I can't remember if it's Killer Mike or LP, but one of them is a massive fan of Steven Seagal. And he, and he talks about how... In The Glimmer Man, Seagal wears these ridiculous outfits that make him look like, uh, quote, my grandma's sofa, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) And the funny thing is, is as terrible a title as that is, the basis for it is that at some point someone says, Seagal's so fast that before he kills you in the forest, all you see is a glimmer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I could outrun Seagal easily. (laughs) Um... And it's weird how he had a real dive into DTV land really quick. There right. was a brief spark with Exit Wounds, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of people can argue that it doesn't even feel much like a Seagal picture. It's more of a DMX film. Yeah. Um, which was in that weird trilogy that featured Romeo Must Die and Cradle to the Grave. All... I like to call it the Tom Arnold. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tom Arnold, Anthony Anderson <laughs> trilogy. trilogy. All produced by uh, uh, Joel Silver. And directed by Andras Ruflisch. I can't say his name. Exit Wounds came in, I think, the year 2000 or 2001, right after a couple of movies where Seagal had fallen into direct-to-video territory. I mean, just, I think it was either before or right after, he starred in an Albert Pune film called Ticker. That is the pits. Well, there's one more director that would be the pits other than that, but we'll get to that a little bit later. (laughs) So, Exit Wounds, surprisingly, was a box office success. It opened at number one and seemed to reignite hopes that this uh, increasingly bloated uh, Aikido star... Now doing wire work. Yeah, now doing wire work, might might be able to sustain his career. But then, a year or two later, he made a movie called Half Past Dead with Ja Rule. Well, you got to remember, this is a post-9-11 movie. (laughs) <laughs> which the director says a lot in the commentary track, which I listened to on my <laughs> DVD I bought from Rogers Video. <laughs> I just saw Half-Assed Ed for the first time last night. <laughs> and how do you feel now? I, well, again, it doesn't really feel like a Seagal movie. It has. It feels very much like that early 2000s Matrix ripoff. It has that kind of ballistic X versus Sever sheen to it. Ooh, the worst of them all. Still, though, like, I gotta get a bit of a kick out of it. Like, if you put Seagal in a movie... It's it's fun. And Seagal's still doing... There's this really cool fight at the end where Seagal and the villain are, are swinging on, <laughs> on chains. On chains. Uh, it's basically Die Hard in a prison. Yeah. Or, you know, The Rock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Seagal is still giving a little bit of effort in this movie. But that was his last theatrical uh, picture. After that, he was straight to DTV land and he's never escaped. Except for Machete. Oh, I forgot about that. Did you see Machete in Cedars? That's yes, a- I did. I remember they talk Seagal up so much in the promo material. They're like, 
He was so good in the movie, we gave him a bigger end fight. Hmm. And if you've seen Machete, all that Seagal does is kind of wave his hands. I think he holds a sword or something. You know, my memory of Machete was uh, uh, I actually kind of liked Seagal in it. Really? I th- and I think it might have just been that he was well used. Um, Did you hear the story that afterwards one of the producers talked about how difficult Seagal was to work with? That they actually had to build a giant fan <laughs> to fan him in every scene that they had to remove digitally in post? Okay, understandably so, because it's the hot Texas sun down at Robert Rodriguez's studio and Seagal... <laughs> Looks to me like a man who sweats. <laughs> but I but di- but didn't you like that scene at the end of the movie where Seagal does the sword fight with uh, Danny Trejo and then he stabs himself? Uh, I guess. I mean, I sure. guess I guess it's really not much different than any other Seagal performance. Yeah, but. it's just kind of him sitting there mumbling. Yeah. As his career has gone on, he's gotten more and more kind of like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and there are, there are a string of movies from the mid-2000s where he doesn't even do his own voice. No, yeah. So he shot the movies a lot of the times contractually obligated. Mm-hmm. And then when they were done filming, he's like, I'm out of here. So some guy who sounds nothing like Steven Seagal, who seems to have a Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Or kind of a, like, well, frankly, a black accent, like the way like the way that Seagal affects in a lot of his 2000s movies. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's hilarious when Seagal does it, but it's doubly hilarious when some guy who's not Seagal does it over him. <laughs> And these are movies like uh, Submerged, his sub-movie. That uh, was supposed to be a monster movie with giant spiders that at the last <laughs> moment Seagal said, I don't want those. One movie that I've always been a little bit curious of is Against the Dark, which is the one where Seagal fights vampires. But supposedly he's only in it for about 15 minutes. And, and it's, it's supposed to suck It's supposed well. to be terrible. But uh, God, what a premise. <laughs> one movie that's definitely not a pure Seagal film, but I really enjoy is Belly of the Beast. Uh-huh. I've never seen it. Because what ended up happening is that the director, Chin Su Tung, who directed like a Chinese ghost story, mm. did the action in Peking Opera Blues, wow. does a pure Hong Kong style action film that just happens to star Steven Seagal. Oh fuck, this sounds like my dream movie. I gotta see this. <laughs> Which includes at one point Steven Seagal jumps through the side of a train, shoots seven guys in the air, obviously lands on a little cart, and keeps sliding and firing at guys. My favorite of the direct-to-video Seagal movies I've seen is Out for a Kill, the title of which combines two movie, two titles from his golden period, Hard to Kill and Out for Justice. And it's a movie that looks like it was assembled out of five or six different <laughs> movies just pasted together. Like Seagal is an archaeologist at the beginning, but then... But then halfway through, like, there were a lot of wire work fight scenes, like Crouching Tiger style. Uh, I, I can't even describe it. I'm just telling you, like, find this movie. It's easily accessible. Watch it. So what is the other movie that we sat down and watched? Okay. It is Sniper Special Ops. And there's been a lot of sniper films. Um, it was a series kind of made by Tom Berenger. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this one is related to them. I have a feeling it's not. I would say that this one, though, is very heavily indebted to American Sniper. And... Uh, it's sort of like American Sniper without the nuance. <laughs> I mean, it's American Sniper if nothing happened. It's like, well, as Vern points out in his review, Vern again being like the... Seagologist. Yeah, the the, the Boswell to uh, Seagal's uh, Samuel Johnson. <laughs> he he the, it, As he points out, the movie opens with this scene that's very much like that famous scene from American Sniper where uh, Bradley Cooper feels really morally ambivalent about shooting the child. Except that there's no nuance. There's just a big build-up, and then Seagal shoots a guy, and he was bad. And Seagal never gets up in this film. 
Well, he gets up a couple times. Yeah, but he just to leave and do something and come back later. Seagal is very much part of an ensemble, um, including, well, the second build star is Rob Van Dam. Um, TNA star himself. Yeah, and what's what's hilarious about that is the box of this movie has above the title Seagal Van Dam. <laughs> You know, it presumably not at all meant to fool unsuspecting uh, uh, Netflix users. And the reason that I wanted to kind of bring up this film is that it's directed by a man I really love to hear talk. He does great commentary tracks. And he's a legend among schlockmeister circles. But it's Fred Olin Ray. Mm -hmm. So when you're making a film with Fred Olin Ray, where else is there left to go? I really don't know if, like, when I first heard that Fred Olin Ray directed this, I thought, wow, Fred Olin Ray, he's up to the big times he's made a Seagal movie but then I thought no Seagal has fallen to Fred Olin Ray's level you know what compared to the last few Fred Olin Ray films this one at least looks like a movie yeah I mean kinda (laughs) it's definitely like when you compare it to American Sniper or to any movie that you would see in a theater it's pretty shoddy yeah but you're not gonna see this in a theater let's be honest No, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's it, it looks pretty bad. So you mentioned Van Damme, which is funny that we haven't actually talked about him at all. Because when people usually talk about Seagal, Van Damme is the one that comes up automatically. Uh-huh. Now, we know there's the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the Bruce Willises. We're not talking about them. Mm-hmm. They're not at the same plateau. We're talking about Van Damme, Seagal, Chuck Norris. So uh, last year or a year or two ago, Tiff did that... Uh, versus series where they showed a couple movies by Van Damme and a couple movies by Seagal and we were to vote on who our favorite was. But they didn't play the movies on the same night. (laughs) No. So no one could go see both of them. You know, I've always kind of gravitated a little bit more towards Seagal, even though Van Damme is objectively better. I think just uh, Van Damme has a um, in-your-face kind of weirdness. Yeah. And he's very passionate about um, the stuff that he does. We watched a double bill of out for justice and me and a bunch of pals watch the quest which is van damme's only directorial effort and it's funny to see both of their work on like this big budget scale where in in on deadly ground not out for justice i made a mistake all these seagal titles sound exactly the same it's very hard to keep them um, together um so on deadly ground seagal never takes a punch not right. once. He's like invincible. And that that's still to this day, now that he's fat and, you know, won't move, it, he seems to become even less willing to be vulnerable. Well, in the uh, Van Damme picture of the quest, uh, Van Damme plays a mime at the beginning of a film who's in charge of a bunch of orphans. And then there's this lavish blood sport like tournament that he goes to where he just gets beaten to a pulp. That's the entire last act. Just Van Damme continually being punched in the face. Yeah, well, Van Damme is clearly, I mean, st- to this day is in incredible shape. He is a, a really great martial artist. Seagal, I think there's a, a, a lot of insecurity there. A lot of justifiable insecurity. <laughs> and that's what's fueling the fact that he can never be vulnerable in a movie. Whereas Van Damme knows, you know, I got this. Do you think Seagal has like a JCVD in him? Who, if people don't know what that movie is, it's a film where Van Damme plays himself. Yeah, I love that movie. No, I don't think Seagal has that in him. I think that as he gets older and older, Seagal disappears further behind the mask. Like, in Sniper Special Ops, what's incredible about it is he's got this um, 
like thick black goatee around his mouth that looks like it was pasted on and he's got this do-rag on his head and he's got these massive sunglasses that apparently Fred Olin Ray didn't want him to wear but that he insisted on wearing because like why would a sniper wear sunglasses <laughs> I really wish I could have listened to the commentary for that movie <laughs> which is featured on the DVD that was yeah. released um so it, it almost looks like he's trying to hide his his big fat face <laughs> I, but are there Seagal fans still out there? Is your uncle walking by, I don't know, a red box or flipping through Netflix and goes, hey, Steven Seagal has a new movie. Let's oh, watch God, that. I, I used to know somebody who worked at Blockbuster and she said that, yeah, people would, would that was come, come. Well, 15 years ago. Th- this was like 2008, 2009 era. Um yeah, like there have got. I mean, if there weren't fans, they wouldn't still be making these movies, right? But isn't it one of those like snake eating its own tail, where like <laughs> a I don't know Chinese uh, distributor is like, well, Seagal's a name, so put him in there and it'll sell copies. Uh, I think so, and then I think there are a lot of people who are who are like me, who are like rubberneckers, who have been following Seagal for a while and and like seeing the decline. So, what do you think his future holds? probably more of the same more shit but i think the last 10 years have had some kind of interesting detours in his career like uh steven seagal lawman for instance have you seen steven seagal lawman no okay so i own season one on dvd and what is it well i don't know if you know this but um while seagal was a blockbuster leading man action star beloved by many he was also a cop a fully uh deputized cop in new orleans but like technically not he was given a badge to be like a goodwill ambassador for the police force so what he could do is he could go around with the real cops to the neighborhoods he could wear a badge he could sit in the seat and he could talk to kids basically and the show goes to seagal vision doesn't okay. it at some point well the problem with the show is it's like cops but seagal can't hold a gun and he, he can't really interact with the criminals he can't do anything so you'll see them in the car and then you'll see um a uh, shifty looking guy on the sidewalk and then you'll see Seagal's face and it'll zoom in on his face and then you'll see it from his perspective and it'll zoom in on the criminal as yeah as if he's Spider-Man and his spidey sense <laughs> and then there'll be a, a flurry of action where three or four cops like run around and Seagal you know pants and wheezes his way <laughs> over to the scene and then while the real cops are arresting this guy Seagal will be talking to the camera like, well, it looks like we got a situation here where we found a crack pipe on the ground. And uh, I don't know, man, it's not it's bad news. So it cuts back and forth between that and scenes of Seagal doing good work in the community. So, And it would have probably continued being a massive hit if something hadn't come and gummed up the works. Yeah, he was um, sued for owning sex slaves and... and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Uh, terrible. Um, and, and like Seagal throughout his career has been accused of like sexually abusing his sexual harassment, just yeah. bad, bad stuff. Uh, even like beating up a parking attendant at one point. So he's been sued twice for sexual harassment or some sort of sex crime. In the first case, the case was dismissed. And in the second case, the the person who sued withdrew the uh, lawsuit. So he's never been, uh, I guess we'd say he's never been convicted of anything, but there, there seem to be Cosby like rumblings there. Uh, and just in general, like he's a well-known bad man 
for, for example, uh, he was known as the worst Saturday Night Live host. He was banned from Saturday Night Live after he hosted it for the first time. I remember there's a um, interview Bob Odenkirk did <laughs> who wrote for Saturday Night Live at the time that the final sketch of the night that never aired was just Steven Seagal beating up a CEO of an oil company for no reason and there was no jokes. Uh, yeah. Now, so I've seen that episode. I watched it again before I got here. It's What are you talking about? Not doing research. We, you did so much research for this. Well, it was just a delight. <laughs> it's not like last week reading about, like, Wanda or something. <laughs> this is Steven Seagal. Uh, yeah, and the episode is great because Seagal can't read off cue cards. He's terrible. And, uh, <laughs> like, do you remember the, the characters Hans and Franz who were... Uh, kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger types. Mm-hmm. Originally, they had written it so that they beat Seagal up, and he was like, "No way, Hans and Franz can't beat me up." <laughs> <laughs> and th- he, like, he's absent from big stretches of the show, big long sketches. He's not in one sketch that he is in. He does an imitation of Andrew Dice Clay, <laughs> a pretty good one. Well, it's pretty good just because he's the same man as Andrew. <laughs> he talks the exact same way, so all they have to do is put a wig on him. Hickety dickety duck. <laughs> I was in Ford Fairlane. <laughs> all right. That's all I have to say about Steven Seagal. Oh, God. There's, oh, I, I want to talk uh, just a little bit about uh, Steven Seagal lightning bolt energy drink. Okay. So the lightning bolt energy drink. This was a drink that Steven Seagal went into the deepest parts of Asia <laughs> let, himself. Let me so I, I went into the Wayback Machine to find the original. <laughs> the Space Jam website. To find the original lightning bolt energy site, which is offline now. Um, and it says, when Steven Seagal traveled to Asia searching for the ingredients for Steven Seagal's lightning bolt, he wanted a universal Asian character to summarize its energy and power. The character known as Chi stands for power and energy in many Asian languages and cultures. And then it goes on to say, the name Steven Seagal's lightning bolt was an inevitable afterthought. When Steven Seagal finished creating a drink that holds untold natural power, there was only one equivalent in nature. The Steven Seagal's lightning bolts. <laughs> Both mysterious and powerful, it's a symbol of the untold energy the Earth has to offer. Such is Steven Seagal's lightning bolt energy drink. Have you drank, drank the Steven Seagal's lightning bolt energy drink? No, I mean, it's not at uh, 7-Eleven or anything. I think it's I think it's. I defunct. don't think your body could probably handle it either. <laughs> You just start shooting Steven Seagal lightning bolt out of every orifice of your body. <laughs> and well, that, yeah, that, that's the power of chi. <laughs> yep. Is there, uh, are there what Seagal movies would you recommend as somebody who's not a fan? Uh, On Deadly Ground and Out for Justice. Yeah, that's it. Not Sniper Special Ops. <laughs> it's so boring. That's the problem. So, oh, we didn't talk about Chuck Norris. Where do you fall on him? Uh, I find he's boring. Yeah, I agree. The, all right, so that's our opinion on Chuck Norris. But what we didn't talk about was DTV. DTV is such a weird thing that kind of exists, but still kind of doesn't really exist anymore. And when you're talking about directors that work with Steven Seagal, he doesn't really work with auteurs. Mm-hmm. But there are auteurs in the DTV land. There's people like John Himes who made two sequels to Universal Soldier. Um, mm. Did you like those ones? Uh, Day of Reckoning and... Um, I I didn't, really. And I feel bad saying that because like they are undeniably like visionary works in a way. Although I think he's kind of purloined his vision from Gaspar Noe. <laughs> I like the spirit of it because most direct-to-video sequels are shit. And I like that there's a director out there who's trying to do something good. I just don't like his vision. But he's going to make Maniac Cop soon, a remake of that. I'm very interested, yeah. But then there's other directors like Isaac Florentine, Mm -hmm. who is a director that people don't really talk about enough, even though he directed two of the best DTV action films ever, 
Undisputed 2, and Undisputed 3, who both star, who I think is the best action star working right now, Scott Atkins. Mm-hmm. That's the hipster's favorite. Uh, oh, that's the hipster's favorite. I don't know. I've, I've never seen um, any of the Ninja movies. They're on my Netflix watch list. I want to see them. I hear good things. I hear they have actual good martial arts choreography and stuff they do and you know you not watching it makes me think of like is there any kind of industry for this anymore like are people still flicking through netflix like i guess i'll watch a steven seagal picture well i I think i think that's how these movies get made now i think um netflix is a little bit like the old video store days where you know in the old video store days if you had a um, a really cool looking box people just looking for something to rent would pick it up. And I think now if you've got a cool title and you've got a cast that people know, uh, people vegging out on their couch will be inclined to just click it. And but it's Steven Seagal? I mean, uh, maybe, maybe you or I I would, but maybe some, maybe some people, but I think some people, so many people have Netflix that I'm sure there's an audience. Like, it's so low stakes to watch a movie on Netflix. All you have to do is just click it. And as long as something gets enough clicks. And sometimes you'll just be watching the Steven Seagal TV show that's been edited into one 90-minute movie. Oh, yeah. There are several of those on Netflix. Uh, and they're they're good. I'm more of a theatrical man when it comes to Seagal. <laughs> You're a purist. <laughs> exactly. So what are we doing next week? We're venturing into classic Hollywood territory again. We're going to talk about Michael Curtiz, who was really Warner Brothers' signature director in the 30s and 40s, but not an auteur. You, uh, well, that's something we'll discuss. Um, he directed the most famous film of all time, Casablanca. Maybe, yeah, but he directed, I mean, his filmography is incredible. He did Angels of Dirty Faces, Adventures of Robin Hood, Yankee Doodle Dandy, a lot of other movies that I'm forgetting right now. <laughs> yeah, his filmography is crazy and it's very stacked. diverse. So we're going to we're going to watch uh and one of the reasons I can't remember the movies he's made is because you don't remember they're just yeah they're just classics. Exactly. Classics that you don't think of in authorial terms. <laughs> All right. So, we're going to be doing that next week and we're specifically going to be watching The Adventures of Robin Hood and Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah. And we'll be talking about Casablanca. Come on, how can we not talk about that movie? Right. When we talk about Michael Curtiz. Well, Justin, it ain't over till the wolf howls. <laughs> oh, no, no, wait, wait. That was a different movie. What, what's the line? Um, oh, I forget the line from the movie we saw. <laughs> They're so memorable. Wait, though, you want to say the line that we ended yeah, we, last week's right. podcast? Yeah, we, we did end it. Yeah. yeah, so that's what you have to do. You go on iTunes, you rate us five stars, <laughs> you write a review. I think there's nine written reviews. Be the tenth person. Oh, yeah. Go, go into the double digits. Yeah, let's Be do like, it. I love Steven Seagal, and these guys really gave him the respect that he deserved. <laughs> And then download last week's episode, where we have a crackling Steven Seagal quote that we end the episode on. Oh, wait a minute. Um, I have one last Steven Seagal story. This is one that Keenan Ivory Wayans has told. Um, So he made the Glimmerman around the time that the Dalai Lama named Steven Seagal a reincarnated uh, Tibetan Buddhist or something. And uh, Seagal said something like, the Dalai Lama, in his infinite wisdom, has uh, bestowed upon me this title. I think it makes me think more spiritually. It makes me want to be a better man. Um, excuse me, uh, Stephen, your ex-wife is on the phone. Uh, she says that she's not going to let you see the kids this weekend. You tell that fucking bitch to get over here and bring those. <laughs> <laughs> he said that actually happened? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, my name's Justin the Clue. My name's Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. It's a goal out. I don't know, does he say that? <laughs> yeah. Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar. Na na na. I don't know how it I goes. I wish I knew more lyrics. Yeah. <laughs>
That would actually be a good project to phonetically learn all the Japanese lyrics to the Jet Jaguar song. So you could like hit the dance floor and impress the ladies and or men. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not all about it's not all about impressing the ladies, Justin. Sometimes You'll learn just, that someday. Sometimes it's just about feeling a sense of self-worth. You have to love yourself before you can love others. <laughs> well, I do love myself. <laughs> I loathe myself. Just... <laughs> I'm a terrible So maybe man. you need to do that Jet Jaguar stuff. Maybe. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the next step. It's my last hope. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> As you load the gun. <laughs> load, lo- loading the gun and, you know, put, putting the rope above my bed as I, as the Jet Jaguar song plays on repeat. <laughs> and you're just looking they at the They discover my corpse. With, <laughs> with the Jet Jaguar yeah. And the world more, never able to listen to the Jet Jaguar theme the same way again. He died doing what he loved, listening to the Jet Jaguar song. <laughs> <laughs> All right.